We are in Surah Tur, just Surah number 52. Yeah. I number, what is I number? 29. A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. فذكر فما أنت بنعمة ربك بكاهن ولا مجنون. This is part of the surah, continuation of the theme previously mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa taala's amr, His command, and His Punishment is definitely happening. There's no one to override that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to do anything that he wills. And uh, he provides guidance to human beings. That is within the realm of his abilities. And he does so through uh, his hikmah. And in his hikmah, there is the sending of prophets, ambiya, appointing human beings as messengers who carry Allah's amr and who then distribute and disseminate and then convey Allah's amr to human beings. That's their function and that's their role. In opposition to this message and this mission, Allah creates the anti-force in the form of non-believers, in the form of rejectors and deniers, and so on. So this cosmological phenomenon that there's cause and effect and there's a cause for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment, which eventually cannot be overridden but uh, there are ways to help human beings overcome their frailties their weaknesses and delay the amr of allah and delay the punishment so that allah uh, sends his rahmah so this passage is about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the resistance he faced, okay, the contentions levied against him, and how Allah wants him to respond and react to those contentions. So there's a lot of nabuwa, usul of nabuwa here, the uh, underpinnings of the moral excellence of the Prophet ﷺ, but it also exposes all the conspiracies the shenanigans of non-Muslims, those who deny the truth and those who want to persecute the Prophet As usual, it is quite a, a very intriguing, at the same time very alarming, how human beings behave in contrast with the best human being that is the Prophet فَمَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ بِكَاهِنٍ وَلَا مَجْنُونٍ 
So now remind them, remind people that you are a Nabi, you are a Rasul. It's in the same vein. Yeah. Because by the ni'mah of your Lord, Rabbika, you are not, you are neither a soothsayer that you don't correspond with the jinns, nor are you a madman that you are possessed or you do not know uh, whether you're rational or irrational. So this is a usual contention from all non-believers that they will not respond to any kind of wahi that is sent to a Nabi and uh, they will not see the ni'mah of Allah in that Allah communicates with human beings through a messenger, through a human being, because they're blinded and uh, they are simply too jealous to understand this is a ni'mah from Allah. So Allah says to the Prophet that you must see this as your Lord's ni'mah. It is your Lord's ni'mah, so now you must do what you need to do. And that is to expose his ni'mah. So Nabuwa, Risala, all inamat, bounties and blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you must now disseminate these bounties and gifts so that people may take heed and people may benefit. As for those who don't want to, then their accusations will be that uh, you are a soothsayer, you communicate with jinns. Or there's something, uh, you know, from the occult, something that is supernatural with you, or that you're just plain mad. Uh, you're not in your wits, you have no aql, and so on. So that's one way to counter somebody who has a real intelligence and somebody who has the truth with them, that you, uh, you know, levy accusations against them about their intelligence, or about the source of their knowledge, and so on. The source of the Prophet's knowledge is wahi, it is not jinn. The, the jinn may have certain powers of communication, understand maybe the cosmos a bit more than human beings do, much more than human beings do. Or you just say, you're not in your wits, you, you, you don't have any rationality left because you're uh, simply possessed and Majnoon uh, obviously comes from the word jinn also, huh? yeah, meaning your faculties are not uh, in equilibrium and so on. But that would be a kind of very childish response. And as mentioned in the previous surah, all prophets have been called this or this or that in the sense that the, 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 the people in front have no weapon by which they can destroy this truth, because this truth is based on intelligence, is based on rationality, and so on. And number two, which will come up again later on, is that when you are not a madman, then you are in your wits, and you do behave in the proper way, in the moral way. You're not going to react in a vicious way. Uh, you're going to be, remain calm, okay. you're going to remain contained, you're going to be in control of your emotions. 
When you're in control of your emotions, you cannot be a madman. When you're not in control and your anger overflows, right, and your hatred and you want to react by killing someone, then you're not in control. So that's now taming of the nafs. Right? So a prophet cannot show that his nafs is not trained and disciplined and he doesn't have control of his nafs. That Islam cannot be used as a weapon to destroy humanity. So you don't react that way. You have to be sober, you have to be stable, you have to be in a position where your behavior is in your control, not in the control of the enemy and the opponent. That's why this is important. So now the kuffar the, the are levying these uh, allegations, accusations, slanders against the Prophet They're testing him, they're testing his patience. Okay, so the Prophet does not respond to them, but he remains calm. And he has tremendous amount of self-restraint, tremendous amount of sabr and, and patience, which uh, angers them even more. Because when you're provoked and you're not provoked, that's strength. That always exposing your anger, that's not a sign of strength, the Prophet says. That, 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 that's not strength, that's being cowardly. Just because you can be angry doesn't mean to say you should be angry. Right? Just because you have a gun in your hand doesn't mean you shoot. Right? Yeah. So that's the, the, the benefit of understanding this for the Sahaba, is that they're seeing the Prophet وسلم, as a role model, as a paradigm that he's been levied with accusations and slanders, he's been insulted, he's been provoked, but he remains true to himself and true to the message and true to Allah, that he shows tremendous self-restraint and tremendous patience and this is now why you see that he cannot be a madman because a madman will just lose it mad people they lose it they don't have any control over themselves over their nerves over their anger over their you know shahwat their passions their desires they're never in control of anything and that's how you lose it so this is now for the prophet that you have a ni'mah from your Lord, that ni'mah is wahi. Wahi requires that you are super intelligent by design. And then intelligence is what stops you from being stupid and reacting and overreacting. And so I said, this is now the proof of Nabuwa is in how the Prophet responds to the accusations of the kuffar. It's a test, basically. And that is another ni'mah. Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Am yakuluna sha'irun natarabbusu bihi raib al-manun. Or do they say that uh, he is a poet, meaning he has the ability to go into the world of imagination and then coin phrases and words and lyrics uh, through his imagination and through his ability to coin phrases, then you need two things. One is the power of imagination and the second is the power of expression. You can't be a poet if you don't know the language, if you don't know that, if you don't have vocab. Right? 
So now you are conceding he has vocab because you're saying that he, he's a, a poet. A poet has to be eloquent. A poet has to be versatile in his uh, articulation. And so that, that articulation is based on observation of reality okay, and the creative nature of poetry. And that, in fact, is not what Allah wants the Prophet to do. He, he doesn't teach him poetry. Yeah. Although there's great skill and dexterity in your language and in your eloquence through poetry, as it represents reality in words that are mesmerizing, uh, especially if you can phrase them and compose them uh, together in a mind-boggling way. But Allah says, no, he's not a genius poet either. It is beneath him to be a genius poet. The poetry sometimes represents the truth and many times it misrepresents the truth and poetry is based on usually a reaction to something in life. Okay, you're projecting your own grief and sorrow, your sadness, sometimes happiness, through your words and then people are mesmerized by your ability to represent your emotions this way and this way and this way. So, but the Quran is not representing uh, the human being's failures uh, with, with this, uh, you know, with, with this type of language and so on. It's much more than that. It represents a being. It represents wujud. It represents the haqiqa, the reality, and so on. It does not play around with words in such a way that it, it wants human beings to fantasize through these words. They're very terse. They're very succinct. They're very concrete, they're very real. So by no stretch of the imagination is the prophet a poet. He's not a poet, anything but a poet. So his ability to receive knowledge comes from a realm that is beyond the realm of imagination. Human imagination can go wild, as you know, and it does go wild. And then you have all of these crazy ideas Everything from filth to more filth and then more filth. Okay, but there's no filth in Wahi. Wahi tells you to be straight and Wahi tells you to be human. Wahi tells you to have good moral conduct and behavior. Wahi tells you to now deal with reality the way it comes. Yeah, not to escape from reality uh, by turning on you know, uh, another dimension in you by fantasizing. And, and so on. Anyway, he's not a poet. Do they say that he is a poet? Mm. We are now waiting in anticipation. Mm. Yeah, the way and the, 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 the skeptical fate. Obviously, it means fate here, the ending. But obviously, there's a lot of skepticism in the word also. There are doubt on Manuna's death. The way people now anticipate death, and they're, they're not sure about it, but they know it is true. But they don't know how to handle it. They, know, they don't know how to prepare for it. And others who survive, they don't know how to handle death when death comes upon them in the family and so on. So, so a poet can't handle this truth. All right? Yeah. So the poets that are commended and commendable they handle the truth, they handle death, they prepare for death, they prepare for the ultimate reality. But to you, when you talk about poets and you have now poetry sessions 
throughout the night in Makkah, which they did in Darul Nadwa. They would call poets, invite them, and po- have poetry competitions and all of that, uh, entertainment, uh, music, etc. So now they're associating all of this with the Prophet even though they know the Prophet doesn't compose any poetry. He never has and he never will. So this, obviously, the, the, the convention of the time, the, the fun thing to do in that culture was poetry along with music and women dancing and then, obviously, uh, wine, uh, etc. So that's the entertainment that was available to them. So here Allah is saying, the Prophet is not there to entertain you. Uh, he is there to tell you about death and what's happening after death. He, he has a very serious mission. He's not going to go into this childish uh, kind of uh, you know, plays or uh, childish uh, child talk or you know, allow you to have frivolous fun. Death, uh, when death comes, that's it. Then you're dead serious because you're dead. Hmm? So here Allah is saying, bihi. We are waiting for the time that when all these poets have, have uh, fun and the pleasure and everybody listening applauds the poet and gives them gifts, etc. So that is not the culture that we uh, want to develop through the Quran. And the Quran is a book by which you can prepare yourself for the ultimate reality, which no one can overturn. Malahum in the which is one of the previous ayat I mentioned, that you can't override and overturn the Amr of Allah when it comes, and it will come in death, and it might come in Qiyamah if you're still there, and it will definitely come when you're resurrected on the Day of Judgment. So this is now uh, an insight into how, how the Quraysh were thinking. The Quraysh were not thinking in a vacuum. You have to remember this. So when you read these ayat, they come in a context, a human context. You can't detach that from wahi. So the human context is, as I said, they had a culture of poetry and poets and having entertainment and having what the Moshara, poetry competition. And they were great. They were stupendous in their ability uh, to coin and, and to compose Poetry instantaneously, instantaneously. But uh, this is not what the Rasul does. The Rasul waits for knowledge from Allah, and then he delivers the knowledge. He does not create his own ideas, nor does he create his own reality. The reality is what's in front of him and what Allah exposes to him. So, so, so these are, you know, yeah. Um, trying to help you understand that the, the, the contention against certain Muslims that too, they're too serious, they don't enjoy fun, there's no entertainment, and blah, blah, blah. It's nothing new. That's what the Quraysh said to the Prophet. It's not an American phenomenon that you want to promote American Islam and American artists and American playwrights and stage production and all of that nonsense. It's not new. It existed during the time of the Prophet was accused of being a party pooper. But you have to understand that. It's in this ayah. 
It's not just, oh, this is an American. There's nothing new about the American nafs. It's the same nafs of every other human being on the planet. The manifestation may be slightly different, but the, you're not novel. That everything that um, happens in America is something uh, all of a sudden is new to human society. You're a new kid on the block. You're only 250, 300 years old. You don't have that kind of history that other nations have. So the idea that Muslims need to realize the context, is, this is the context. What's the context? The context is that when you are kind of, you want to lure the Prophet into your mindset, into your world view. You want to bring him into your context and into your culture. So instead of saying he's a prophet, they say he's a poet. He's an artist. Right? Yeah. He's an artist. So the Quran says no. Artist and artistry will die when death meets you. It's not forever. Wahi is forever. Wahi is eternal. And it lasts forever. It will be in Jannah. So that's how you want to read the ayah. The, the ayah is obviously the, the more you think about it. But you have to sit down and think about it. Think about what is now the context. That's why the asbab and nuzul are very important. And then you must understand the culture of the Quraysh. People don't understand the culture of the Quraysh. They just read the ayat uh, kind of superficially. And when they read the seerah superficially, then they don't connect the two. But you should be able to connect you know, the, the, this with the history of the Prophet as he lived in Mecca uh, at that time. Uh, say, O Muhammad, you may wait and you may anticipate because I am with you from those who are anticipating, those who are waiting. I'm also waiting and I hope that my death will be good and I will meet my Lord in a, in a good condition. But you're also waiting. Now we both have the same destination. Our destination is death, which is a certainty. That is haq. No one's going to override that. No one can repeal that order and command of Allah. See the word ahlam. That is it, your intelligence, is it your you know, ability to think and discern that's instructing you to do all this. Meaning, these contentions that you levy against the Nabi, are they based on some intellectual ability that you have? Ahlam. Ahlam can mean many things. Mature knowledge also mean dreams. Uh, it can also mean yeah, intelligence. Also, but here means intelligence. That is your intelligence, your collective understanding of your worldview. Is this now prompting you to levy these accusations against the Prophet? Is it just that you're, you're diseased, that you're, you know, you're rebels? And you have a lot of arrogance in you. All of those meanings are implied in the word ta'awun. That you, you simply don't know. 
what is now the truth or you're just arrogant about it and you're not willing to concede somebody else has more intelligence and knowledge than you have so you're just rebelling against a, a natural phenomenon that is uh, Allah's nur coming upon uh, the Prophet Sallallahu so, meaning that there is no intellectual uh, debate here as far as the Prophet's knowledge and the prophet's intellect you are just now uh, arguing for the sake of arguing there's no substance in your argument and you're being very childish about it in fact you're just being rebellious showing your true colors and so on is it that you are saying that you fabricate this you make up all these words yourselves and it is, it is from you. So on one side, they say that he is a majnoon, he has no wits. And on the other side, you say he is a poet. A poet requires adequate articulation. So that in that sense, you're saying he is intelligent. And then when you don't concede to his intelligence, you say that he is now fabricating this. Now, if you say that he's fabricating, then the ability to fabricate something like the Quran is immense. It is mind-boggling. The truth is you don't believe. So the, 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 the most, I think, serious cancer is disbelief, kufr. You can argue all you want and you can debate as the Anbiya debated. And you, you can teach them, you can give them da'wah, you can bring premises and conclusions. But the simple truth is they don't have iman. When people don't have Iman, they're going to set up false uh, systems of defense. And they're all false, they're all bathal. So the truth is, meaning to the Prophet the truth is that they don't believe. And when they don't believe, it doesn't matter how much you argue through rationalism, through logic, through history, through your paradigms and, you know, whatever means of, you know, debate you have in front of you. They don't believe. And if they don't believe, they don't believe. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So you can only convey the truth. You can't convince people of the truth. So as mentioned before, you're there to convey. You're not there to convert. So a Muslim's now duty comes first. What's the duty? You convey the truth the way it is. Your job is not to convert. You may, and Allah may help people convert because of you through your dialogue, etc. But there's no guarantee of that. If they don't believe, they don't believe. So, so it's more of a, a kind of um, approach to the Prophet's mission that although you're going to bend over backwards, which he did uh, all the time when conveying the message, Ultimately, it's up to Allah and it's up to them whether they want to believe or not. So this is another nidham, another system that is there. There's no one to overturn that system either. Okay? So the system is you convey, they reject. And that's the system. If they believe, they believe through Allah's will, which is another system. That's a system of fadl, as I mentioned before. Yeah. So this is how the, 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 the ayat of the Qur'an, they really help the Prophet uh, see the truth and stay focused on the mission. It is difficult, as you know, as a human being, that you are conveying day and night. 
through any means available to you. You're making dua for them. You're concerned about them, their fate, and their iman or lack of iman. But uh, the Allah says well, that it doesn't belong to you. Iman is not your domain. It's Allah's domain. When He says believe, they will believe. And when he says they're not going to believe, they're not going to believe. You can't do anything. But what you can do is continue the da'wah, continue the mission. Um, very difficult to separate the emotion from the reality. Uh, and that's where prophets struggle the most in terms of the, you know, they see it as their failure. Uh, but Allah says, it's not your failure, it's their failure. <laughs> yeah, the meaning that he has to say. But a prophet is a prophet. He will do what he does. It doesn't matter. So the Ambiya, like all other human beings, once they make up their mind to do something, then it has to be done at any cost, at all costs. So Allah says, no. And that's a discipline that they, they learn. Again, through Allah's Father, easier said than done. Uh, because uh, human beings can only be driven by their uh, emotion. Sincerity comes through Allah's Father. Uh, so uh, you are not God. Don't assume that you are God because you preach and you convey that all of a sudden you have certain authorities and certain prerogatives. Allah shows all prophets time and time again. That is not your prerogative. You cannot play God. So just, just uh, be who you are. And thank Allah for the ni'mah of your Lord. You see this as a ni'mah. Your ni'mah is that you receive wahi. Your second ni'mah is that you convey wahi. The third is not in your hands, which is conversion. That's not in your hand. So if you give a talk and nobody likes what you say and they don't like you. Comes with the territory, brother. If nobody likes your class, it comes with the territory. If nobody listens to your nasiha, it comes with the territory. You should not wait for a fan club. Oh, I, I got 50 fans today. And that's not sincerity. So, so Allah that sends the discipline to the Ambiya. You don't need a fan club. What you need is, is to get into Jannah. <laughs> well, you'll have plenty of fans. Inshallah. Yeah, so again, this is a, is a point of for Muslims who are in the work, in the field, that they must not become so obsessed with the result that they give up the work. Da'wah is not result-oriented. Da'wah is ikhlas-oriented. Right? It's not corporate America that is result-driven. Okay, we have some losses now, so let's cut costs and fire everybody. Okay, prophethood doesn't work that way. As the Prophet said, some Ambiya will be raised on the Day of Judgment with one follower. How many? One. Ego figure. All right. So if you think that your name and your fame and your popularity is a sign of Allah accepting you, think again. You won't know whether Allah has accepted you until you die. So you have to get off the high pedestal of yours. And start doing the work for Allah's sake, not for the sake of gaining name, fame, popularity, and you know, murids and uh, students and you know, followers with the Prophet. So, all of these uh, stories are mentioned in the Quran, and 
just show that Allah wants the Anbiya to be at the most perfect level of ethical, moral behavior. And until they are there, Allah will continue to test them. That's the bottom line. Right? So the more Allah wants you to raise your standards, the more he's going to test you. And the Prophet was tested the most because he has the highest standard of moral, ethical behavior. That's how it works. On the ground, in time and space, in history, this is what happens. The Kufar come, they do this, this and that, and they assassinate and they plot and they scheme, as, as you will see the next few hours, they were scheming and plotting to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ. The truth is that they do not believe. Allah throws them the ultimate challenge that if this is something that is now inspired through the human mind and a human being has come up with this arrangement, with this language, with this eloquence and with this composition, then you try it. If, he, if he's able to do it as a human being, you're also human beings. In fact, you say you're more intelligent than he is, so you do it. You compose an ayah which is anywhere close to this ayah. There's no way you can do this. You don't have the ability because this is not through the human convention of intellectual discourse and intellectual recognition. This is a different system. One system is that human beings, uh, they, they, they develop infrastructure and they do everything they can to help themselves and help others, hopefully. And you reach a point where you have now you know, scientific genius and wonderful infrastructure and economy, whatever. And there's another system which is based purely on Allah's fadl, Allah's rahmah. That is the system of wahi. You can't access that through your tools through your knowledge, through your systems, through your paradigms. It is not accessible through human means and human standards. It is only given by Allah to do to those whom he favors. So now you must respond to both systems. You respond to your aql, your mind. You use it in such a way that is beneficial to you and not harmful. But at the same time, you must also concede and submit which is the meaning of the word Islam, submit to a higher authority. And that higher authority is the Nabi, because he's not like you. He doesn't use the human convention to give you news, information, instruction, and uh, law, basically. He uh, benefits from Allah's ni'mah, the ni'mah of wahi, which is supra-rational. It is beyond the human intellect. If they have now supreme knowledge, they will bring something like an eye of the Quran. Or if they have supreme power, and they, if they have potency and qudra, then is it that that they have been created from something, or is it that they are creators themselves? Do they have the ability to create the way Allah Taala creates them? Obviously, the answer is no. Meaning they don't have that ability and they don't have that potency, they don't have the qudra in order to create anything that they desire. They have to go through trial, error, trial, error. They have to go through struggle. Sometimes they fail, sometimes they succeed. But they, they, they're not God. 
they can't do anything that Allah does, neither at the micro level nor at the macro levels. Now, one is your knowledge, and the second is your action. So the first ayah speaks about knowledge, that they are incapable in terms of knowledge. And this ayah speaks about ability and kudra and action. They are also incapable of acting the way they want to all the time. They don't have that ability, so they can't stop a hurricane from coming. Right? They can't stop an earthquake from coming through their convention. They can through the convention of wahi, which is to do good deeds and to have iman. That stops earthquakes and that stops hurricanes and that stops tornadoes. They're using the wrong convention. You can't use the convention of science against Allah's will. Allah's will is overwhelming, is overpowering. So neither do they have the knowledge nor do they have the ability. That's how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now confronting all of these accusations for the Prophet which gives us a paradigm how to talk to non-Muslims or perhaps Muslims. <laughs> Never mind non-Muslims, the biggest danger we have, the Muslims themselves. They're kind of uh, overwhelmed and they're enamored by the conventions of the modern world and so on, that this convention is unique and this is superb and you know, this is mind-boggling how they do this and how they do that. But what they do is very limited and so on. So well, even when you're talking to uh, kind of skeptical Muslims, we should use this uh, discussion here in this surah and other surah to show no, you know, that what, what your, your abilities are truncated. Okay, they're, they're stopped in their tracks before you complete anything. It's only because Allah has set up a convention of cause and effect that you're able to do things. But if his Amr uh, comes, then nobody can overpower Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Amr. So it's a point of fear. There is here the destination will be that Muslims should be afraid of bragging about their abilities or the abilities of other human beings and the abilities of scientists to do whatever they think they can do. There's a place and a time where it just stops. At the very least, a death. Okay, you can't stop death. Uh, you can do fancy things and like freeze yourselves. <laughs> God knows why you want to freeze yourself in this world. You know. But anyway, so you know these kind of always perverted ideas of science and technology. It's all the jolly. You know. If you're true to your word and you want to do something for the benefit of people, then do something for the benefit of people. Don't do it because of money. If it's money, then it's corrupt to start with. Once you have money as your intention, that is a corrupt intention. In the You can benefit from your inventions and whatever it is. You can serve the industries and if money comes your way, that's fine. But if money is what drives science and technology and research, then... That's not really a civilized society. It's what we call a very materialistic society in the Anyway, the points of contention against the status quo, just as mashallah, Muslims are so, so critical about the Muslims, they should be just as critical about the non Muslims. Maybe look into the system you live in and see how many faults and how many flaws. How many mistakes we live in, despite those flaws and mistakes that we all know of, we still love the country. Um, 
which is basically paradoxical. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you should love the place where you live. You shouldn't curse the place where you live because that, that, that's stupid. What I'm saying is that then you must think of ways to improve the society that you live in, add value to it. That is why Muslims are here. They're, they're here to either to reform or to refine. They're not here just to consume because that, that's the wrong intention. And that intention won't get you anywhere, neither in this world nor in the next world. Have they created the heavens and the earth? Have they created the planets, the galaxies, the Milky Way? They're not the creators of those objects and beings. They're not the creators of water <coughs> and plants and minerals in this world either. They have no yakin, they have no certainty, and so on. So with the, 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 the what is tangible, within reach, either through, you know, science, technology, or through exploration, or whatever, the algorithms, whatever you have, mathematics, and physics, etc. That's all tangible. But nobody claims they created it. Right? Who creates gravity? And Newton didn't say that I created gravity. Did they ever say that? <laughs> nobody says that. So he'll lie the challenge. It's a very simple, straightforward, sensible argument. Have they created the heavens and the earth in which they enjoy their lives? Meaning the platform upon which you exist, okay, the container in which you exist, time and space. You didn't create that. Allah created that. Nobody claims that they created. So the one, one, one way to do that is reject God. So well, time and space exist by itself. Then you go fall into atheism because then you don't want to worship God. So you say, okay, let's worship time. <clears throat> worship in the sense that override Allah's abilities and then make time much more powerful than Allah himself. That's the meaning of worship. Yeah, they, they, they make puja of time. Uh, what they might do if they make an idol out of it. They have no yaqeen. They have no certainty. There's no faith, no certainty. And because they just roam around, wander around in skepticism, which we mention in the next surah. Uh, this is all about knowledge and wahi and knowledge, wahi and knowledge. As well. So you see that the, the, the bottom line is that when you are uh, conveying this message to the non-Muslims, number one, they don't believe. And number two, you can try as much as you can to debate with them, to argue with them, and to you know to rationalize what it is you believe in. That's fine. That's your effort. But the truth is they don't believe. When they don't believe, they've just been stubborn, and their stubbornness is what's going to kill them. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the, well, the bottom line is this ayah. Do they think they own the treasures of your Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Or do they think they own and they have control and they're wardens, musaytirun? Do they think they're wardens and custodians of the treasures of Allah and the powers that they can actually control? All of these ni'am gifts that Allah gives to the Prophet meaning no. And they know so meaning that they, they see Wahi as a you know a supreme talent. And do they, they do they assume that they're the ones who can distribute this now of understanding of knowing that wahi? Meaning no, they don't. 
or do they think they're custodians and not stewards of the, 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 these other finer gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has with him? The answer is no. They, they, they have no prerogative, they have no ownership, they have no ability whatsoever. They're just redundant and totally useless. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing the Prophet that you might think that they have economic power and they have power uh, through their whatever tribal politics is still power. And the power to influence, the power to move, the power to change people's minds and hearts, and the power to exploit. And you might see that as you know, a reality, a phenomenon, but that is very true from far from the truth. Yeah. yeah. So here Allah is saying that they don't own the treasures of your Lord. Okay? And the address is to the Prophet Khazain Rabbik is addressing Your Lord has treasures beyond imagination. They don't have anything. They're limited. They live in the world for a limited time. And even the limited powers that they have are restricted by death. And so on. They don't live forever. Is it that they have a staircase? Sometimes do they have an elevator or something that goes to the heavens where they go and listen and eavesdrop into the communication between the angels and yourself and so on? Meaning they don't. They don't have access to that world and they don't have access to those angels. They don't have access to wahi, the ayat of the Quran. They have access to nothing, meaning they are totally deprived and they should be lucky that Allah has chosen somebody from them to represent them and to deliver Allah's amr, Allah's will. But they don't see that. They want control. It's all about you know, human beings, a vain idea of control, vanity. Obviously, it kills you 10 times over. So human beings are vain. I want control. I want to control this, 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 and that. It's all about control. Control then requires that you have knowledge or you have ability or you have both. So Allah says, you have no control. Then the places where they are now looking for and listening, they should come and tell us with a clear proof and authority and power, Sultan means uh, all of that. I mean, they, 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 they can't prove anything uh, to anybody that they have authority, that they have control, they have knowledge or power and abilities. So here the, the, the vanity of a human beings, especially those who have some authority or some power or some wilaya over the people, they don't want to give it up and then they make mess of things and relationships and they uh, disturb and destroy people and their lives and so on so, you, know, you don't have a stairway all the way to the heavens to uh, feel the truth okay, that has to come through the divine order meaning through the rules of understanding wahi through the rules of appreciating wahi and uh, implementing wahi they don't have a sultan an authority they don't have power, they don't have, you know, that kind of ability to bring that kind of power and influence. 
yeah, human beings want to influence each other, which is normal. I hope you want to influence each other at home. That's a good thing, as long as you don't kill them and disturb them. Each other is a key. Not over each other, but with each other. That's ta'awun. The Quran calls it ta'awun. Mutual cooperation. Towards taqwa and towards good deeds. Not mutual cooperations towards sin and rebellion. All of that. It has to be a societal effort where if you do have a authority who's now leading a group or a family or you know, any corporation, whatever it is. Then the idea would be to manage people and not dictate upon people. You cannot dictate. The Prophet was, was not a dictator. Allah didn't allow him to. You're not a musaytir, you're not a warden, a guardian, supervise them microscopically over everything, thing that they do know. You just deliver the message and lead by your example. So, right? so this is what this ayah is saying, that, that uh, they don't have the sultan, the authority and the power. It has to be done through the human convention of kindness, uh, understanding where human beings make mistakes all the time. Another false idea that they, some of them had was that they ascribe or the uh, you know the, the, the Allah subhanahu wa taala uh, he, he he likes boys and he likes the male and meaning that first of all Allah subhanahu wa taala doesn't have any children and number two you ascribe angels as they are the daughters of Allah which is coming up in the next surah also so Allah gives them just a very kind of simple. Uh, question that uh, another in that culture they didn't like girls anyway they preferred boys over girls especially when they were born so the question was that whatever you dislike you appropriate for Allah and whatever you like you appropriate for yourselves what kind of logic is that? What kind of service is that? What kind of ibadah is that? What kind of recognition of Allah's authority is that? Okay, that you say that. We'll give Allah the things we don't like. And we'll give ourselves the things we like. It's all the nonsense. That's why the Quran says that you must not give you know, rubbish as sadaqah. You can't give your trash as uh, trash as sadaqah and charity. Which is now you know, a ripple effect from this aqidah. That you're giving Allah everything you want to dump and discard. It's a mindset. So if there's a charity, or if there's kind of fundraising, or there's a relief program, and even they, they make, <laughs> give us your best stuff so Allah takes the best stuff from you and then give you barakah because you're giving the best stuff. Uh, okay, this sweater I've never worn, I'll never wear it. It is worn away anyway. I'm going to throw it in the bin. So let me give it to charity. And that is sick. Not only is it unreasonable and uh, almost against all civilizational values, it is just sick. Okay, that is a manifestation of this. 
You understand? You tie it together. It's the same thing. Whatever you hate, you give to Allah. And whatever you like, you keep to yourself. Okay. See, so you hate this because it's garbage. I'm going to throw it away anyway. I give it to Allah. I'll give it to charity. And whatever I love, all the new things I have, I'll keep it to myself. That's not charity. Just that this is stupid and that is stupid too. So the next time somebody comes and gives you, uh, you know, an invitation, please donate. Don't donate your trash. Throw the trash where it belongs, in the trash bin. Go and buy something for Allah and say, no, I'm going to buy something new, something that's unopened. And I'm going to give it to Allah because Allah takes the charity in his own two hands first. So what you're doing, you're giving this worst type of garbage in Allah's hands. And then you're telling people, I gave so much charity, which is all trash. That's not the mindset of a Muslim. That is not a civilizational value. And that's why there's no barakah in the charity that we give. Otherwise, if we gave charity the way we should, there will be ample barakah in our lives. Ample barakah. Allah gives 10 rewards for one deed. I don't know how much reward he gives for the deed we do. Yeah, it's just the mindset. The mindset is now based on ayat like this, that the kuffar had the same disease. But in theology, we have the disease in charity. They had the disease in theology. This is how we deal with Allah. Okay. Angels, uh, girls we don't like will give girls to God. So the Quran says it makes no sense. It makes no, no sense at any level whatsoever. And now you say, does he have natural children and sons? Awesome. You have now the banun, the, the, the assets and the commodities that you love, you hold dearly uh, to your nafs and to, to yourselves and to your persons. You say that belongs to us. The rest belongs to Allah. That stems from the vanity of human beings that God should not have anything that I control which is a deeper disease, that God should not have anything I control. I control this money, this is mine. Therefore, Allah has no access to this, and I'm not going to give him access to this because it's not his. You're mistaken. It is his. You're his. The whole creation is his. Where you go with this line of vanity and this level of a total perversion and so on. So this is how you read these ayat and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is now saying that. I was hoping to finish a few more ayat, but we don't have time next time, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to read the Quran, recite it, to understand it, and inshallah to act upon it. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayl khalqi Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayl khalqi Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabi ajma'in.